0: I wanted you to turn with me to one Kings chapter nineteen. I am sure you are familiar with this passage of scripture uh, in uh, in or seventeen in se- chapter seventeen. You can see Elijah in his private life. In chapter eighteen, you see Elijah in his public life, and then in chapter nineteen, you see Elijah in his pouting. Here he is. He is, and, and it's amazing to me in chapter nineteen. It would be it's hard to even imagine that this is the same man that was in chapter eighteen. Heaven victory on the top of Mount Carmel. But there was a preparation. If there's no cherith in a man's life, there is no carmel in that man's life. And God prepares His preachers uh, to give them, get them ready for the fire to fall, for the rains to come and for the blessings of God, which I believe is revival. And in chapter 17, we see uh, God in preparing uh, that man and getting him ready for the blessing of God. And I believe that he does the same thing uh, for us. In chapter 17, I'll not read the entire passage. Of course, I'm, I know you're so uh, familiar with it. But uh, the Lord laid it on my heart last night as I went home to the motel about what to bring to the preachers this morning. And I want, to, uh, I want us to look at this chapter And I want us to underscore uh, in chapter 10, uh, chapter 10, let me read, or chapter, excuse me, verse 10, chapter 17. And as she arose and went, uh, and as he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, she called, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel. Underline it. A handful of meal in a barrel. A little oil and a cruise. And behold, I'm gathering sticks. That I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. As we read this passage of Scripture, you know the background. There was a drought in the land. Chapter 17 tells us that there was a drought in the land. And if you'll compare that with Luke, you'll find out it's probably three and a half years of drought. Uh, It probably lasted three and a half years. And in the, in the third year, apparently the drought had been on for about six months before Elijah appeared uh, into Ahab. And, and Elijah appeared into Ahab's court and announced that there was going to be a drought, that it was not going to rain for three years. And then he disappeared from public life and then goes into the private life. And we find some interesting things that happened in Elijah's private life. By the way, that's where the work is done is in the private life of God's uh, preachers and God's men. During these three years of his private life, we find something taking place in chapter 17. We find, first of all, there was a dried brook. Now, in the dried brook, God sent Elijah down, and after he had announced it was not going to rain, he sent him down and told him, uh, verse 3, Get thee hence and turn eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, uh, before the Jordan, and uh, he said, I will take care of you there. I will provide for you. And Elijah ate uh, bread and, uh, and uh, 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 meat and fresh branch water. Uh, that's amazing to me when I compare what happened to those uh, hundred prophets that Obadiah. I believe Obadiah was a new evangelical. And um, uh, Obadiah, he hid these hundred prophets in the cave. And you know what they had to eat? Bread and water, no meat. I'll tell you right now, uh, if you'll do what God wants you to do and stay in God's will, he'll provide for you. You know that? But he had a good balanced meal. uh, And uh, he was down by the brook uh, of of, um, uh, Cherith. And notice, we see this dried brook. Now, notice it began to dry up. Uh, And as it began to dry up, I know God's man began to say, Wait a minute, Lord, you sent me here. I'm in God's will. I mean, this is God's will for my life, and you sent me here now and I've been enjoying the blessings of God, but all of a sudden, the brook's dried up. Why did the brook dry up? Well, maybe somebody, the first thing we'd say, well, maybe Elijah had sin in his life. Maybe uh, uh, God's angry with him. Uh, we begin to think all kinds of things that caused uh, the brook to dry up. Maybe he's out of the will of God. No, I don't believe that. I don't believe he's out of the will of God. I believe that God had another place for him, that God wanted uh, uh, Elijah to trust in the Lord, instead of in the brook, he wanted his servant to not get too satisfied with the brook, but to learn that it was the God of the brook that we need to learn to trust in. So God was beginning now to mold and to make uh, his servant and get him ready for Mount Carmel. So there was a dried brook. But notice, secondly, there was a depleted barrel. Look at this in verse 8. Look at this barrel. And the word of the Lord came unto Elijah and said, Arise and get to the Zarephath. The word Zarephath means uh, 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 refining. And God now is beginning to refine his pastor, his preacher, and get him ready to where he can stand on Mount Carmel and challenge the nation uh, who's on the Lord's side. And here is a great challenge. But now he says, look how the Lord comes to Elijah. Uh, And he said to him, Uh... And the word of the Lord came unto him. You know, note, the word of the Lord always leads God's servant in times of great testings. The Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. Uh, you and I need to learn and I've had such a, a time sometimes a learning that I need to get into the Word of God so that God can encourage my soul and God speaks to me through His Word not through mirages and miracles but through His Word. But this is a strange commandment that God gives His servant. He said uh, to the Word of Arise and go to Zarephath which belongs to Zidon." Here is, he sending him into a uh, Gentile territory. He's sending this Jew into a territory of the, the, the Gentiles now and a Gentile woman and says, that's where I want you to go. That would be the last place that I'd want to go. But no, God said, now I want to, I want to teach you something. Go into Gentile territory and look, he's not going to have a king with a palacious palace there to provide for you, but i got a widow woman there. Come on, Lord. This is not what I expected. I didn't expect it. Look, don't you have somebody there that's got a little bit of green? You can look after me and take care of me. The Lord said, I'm refining you. I'm getting you ready in your private life to where I can let you step out publicly on Mount Carmel. He said, I want you to go to Zarephath, and she'll feed you. And uh, uh, Zarephath, you need some more refining. And Elijah, God wanted to refine Elijah and... um, Uh, And and he arrived, and he found this poor woman, and uh, preparing her last meal to eat. How'd you like that for a welcoming party? (laughs) You said, "Ah, here I'm going into uh, Gentile territory, and I'm going to, uh, God said for me to go, I'm going. And he said he'd provide for me there, and whenever I get down there, here I find it's a widow woman. And all she has is she's uh, preparing her last meal, and she's going to die. and She's going to eat it. God is getting him ready to walk by faith, and then uh, not only do we see the dried up brook, the dried brook, and the depleted barrel, but we see the dead boy. And here again, God is preparing his servant uh, to get ready for Mount Carmel. And this dead boy, of course, you know the story: how that uh, Elijah put him in the loft and uh, laid on him, uh, and life came back in the boy. And all three of these were tests. The dried brook was uh, was Elijah's test. The depleted barrel was the widow's test, and the dead boy was the widow's and Elijah's test. But I want us today for just a few moments to zero in on the depleted barrel, and um, if I had a subject, I would entitle it this, and I'm giving my wife credit for this title, Don't Burn Your Barrel. We were having our devotions, I don't know how you and your wife have your devotions, but. Uh, we'll have our devotions, and we're going through the book of uh, of Proverbs now, and and uh, we will uh, study our devotions. and, and uh, I'm I'm a great re- I love to read the Puritans. Now, I'm sorry, I like to, I just like to read the Puritans, and um, uh, I, I love to read the Puritans. Sometimes you wade through all that, and you get one little nugget. You get one little thing's worth the whole book. I mean, the book may not be any good, but you get one little thing, and that's worth it all. So I would like to encourage you to be a reader. Read, 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 read. I carry my briefcase and it's packed full of books. And I read. But my wife is a reader. And she said to me, as we were studying chapter 17 here one, t- one morning, and she said to me, she said, Honey, I found the most interesting thing in one of your commentaries. I said, What are you doing with my commentary? Nobody's supposed to handle my commentary. And she said, I found the most interesting thing. She said, This uh, author said that was customary... Whenever there was such a drought in the land and that was customary to burn the barrel and the situation was so desperate, it was a wooden barrel and they would just, it was a natural thing to do, to take and take the last bit of meal out of the barrel and burn it uh, and cook the meal and it made good sense Uh, and never, there's never going to use it again, never had any need of it so the situation is so desperate Uh, They were going to burn the barrel. And she said to me, she said, isn't that wonderful that this woman didn't burn her barrel? And here's what she said. She said, because that was the instrument that God was going to use to supply her need through. That was the instrument that God was going to use to bless God's man through. That was the instrument of blessing. And God didn't burn or she didn't burn her barrel. And I began to think about that. I said, "Hey, wait a minute!" And I looked at verse ten, and it says that she gathered sticks. Uh, the, the, this barrel was the instrument through which God was going to supply her need, and the instrument of blessing. The barrel was uh, was that which God was going to uh, to provide for. Her. And most of us, whenever we get into a hard time, or get into a difficult place, or we get into a situation, we will the instrument, the very instrument that God's going to use to provide our need or to provide for us is what we will uh, get discouraged with or we will uh, uh, discard or we will destroy or walk away from And we will burn our barrel. So I said, dear Lord, you've got a a thought here for me. And I just want to develop it. So preachers, I want to say whenever you're going through a difficult time, you're going through a challenging time, a trying time, don't burn your barrel. Because that's the thing that God's going to use to provide for you greater blessing uh, down the road. Let's look at this. I felt there's about five things here. uh, Five times, four or five times, we shouldn't burn our barrel. Number one. You don't burn your barrel when there is a drought in the land. (laughs) There's a drought in the land. Here we have no rain. Uh, And rain in the Bible is a picture of the blessing of God. Uh, Rain in the Bible is a picture, uh, uh, drought is a picture of the judgment of God. Rain is a picture of revival. Uh, And uh, God coming in power and blessing. And you don't want to burn your barrel whenever there's a drought in the land. When there's no revival, when there's no a blessing of God upon your ministry, and you're going through a difficult time, you don't want to burn your barrel. What is the drought? Amos said in Amos 8.11, there is a drought in hearing the word of God. Oh, listen, uh, uh, the word of God. Some people burn the barrel of preaching the word whenever there's a drought. They say, well, it's not working. We've got to market our church. Uh, can you go to? <laughs> We've got to learn how to uh, how to market our our our, our program. Target marketing. That's the thing we need to do. This old-fashioned preaching of the Word of God will not work today. We're not seeing revival. We're not having the blessing of God. We're not having the favor of God. Uh, We're not seeing the uh, the sound of abundance of rain. And there's a drought in the land. And our ministry is barren and dry. And we're just going to do something else. We'll go out and and we'll try something else. No, we don't want to burn the barrel of preaching. uh, uh, Just because people stop listening to it, we need to keep on Preaching, because uh, you don't want to burn the barrel whenever there's a drought in the land of hearing the word. Just keep preaching. I mean, just keep preaching. Preacher said to me, I said, well, my people won't pay any attention to me. What should I do? I said, keep preaching. Well, I said, they won't visit. I said, what should I do? I said, keep preaching. Well, I said, they won't tithe. I said, keep preaching. Well, he said, can't you tell me something I can do to get them, you know, just get get them up and going? I said, yeah, preach. Preach the Word. Just don't burn your barrel, fellas. Don't turn your uh, pulpit into a psychology couch. Just keep preaching the Word when there's a drought in the land of hearing the Word of God. Uh, Just don't burn the barrel because it's not lecturing or counseling that does it, but it's the preaching. uh, uh, It's the preaching of the cross that is uh, foolishness to those that perish, but unto us that are saved it's what? It's the power of God. So, don't burn the barrel uh, that's the, uh, of preaching and praying whenever you've got a drought in the land. The drought in the land of preaching. Now, some burn the barrel of preaching. That's the instrument through which God's going to bless us and bless his church. He's promised that. And this 20th century uh, and 21st century needs the same thing that the 1st century did. They went everywhere doing what? Preaching the word. Preaching the word. Fellas, we need to get to where we just preach the word I'm, I'm so hungry for preachers who obey their soul in this book and in prayer. And I thought, dear Lord, here I've been in the pastor all these years uh, and I've really missed it because I just haven't stuck to the job many times. I've gotten discouraged and I've wanted to wander around trying to find something else that might work. Well, it won't do it. You just have to stick at the stuff and don't burn your barrel of preaching and praying. Because when there's a drought in the land, you just do what you're supposed to do. You just keep at it and preach, uh, preaching and praying. Keep on. Then number two, don't burn your barrel when there is death in the loft. <laughs> there was death in the loft. Here, uh, a precious day. is your church barren and dry? Is there, is there, uh, is there a sense of death around you? And uh, spiritual death fellow said that my church is dead. Brother Bell, my people are dead. There's no life there. And the church is dead. And they come and they warm the pew. And there's deadness everywhere. He said, I know that my church is going to come first in the rapture because the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first. Well, uh, you listen. Fellas, there's deadness in our church. What are we going to do? Uh, uh, The first thing we're going to do where there's no life well god's man went and prayed Uh, he fell on top of this he identified himself with the problem listen we uh, i've got a sermon i preached uh, uh uh on blacksmiths in the land the bible says there was no smiths in the land you know what, and listen, and the reason they were getting defeated because they weren't producing blacksmiths and blacksmiths gets their hands dirty and they get involved in making implements of war and, and making implements to, to farm with. And there was no smiths in the land and those smiths were also goldsmiths and silversmiths and that's the way you get in the instruments to worship God and you, we need these preachers to lead us into making these instruments uh, and there was no smiths in the land. But oh, here we see uh, that there, uh, this man and identified himself uh, you've got to love people uh, you've got to identify yourself with this dead boy i came home the other night tired i preached about four times on sunday and counting my teaching my classes and um, uh i was on uh, and, and, and on the radio and so forth but i came home tired you know how it is after a, uh, you're tired and uh, I came in, pulled off my, uh, my, my shoes and put on my pajamas and my house coat and uh, uh, got me a, a, uh, some popcorn. You never do that. I know you fellows are more spiritual than that, but I'm sorry. That's what I do. And I just flopped back my easy chair and was going uh, uh, to eat, uh, eat a few po- grains of popcorn. The phone rang. And the lady who said I had not seen her, I guess, for 25 years, She's one of my members at large. And she said to me, she said, Preacher bail, could you run over to the emergency room? I don't know why it is, but those fellows, those people that you never see, they always know where you are whenever there's somebody dying or somebody at the emergency room, you know. And she said, could you run over to the emergency room? I said, why? One of my granddaughters, she's, she's real sick, Preacher. She's real sick. Would you run over there? And I said, well, I wasn't enthusiastic about it, I'll tell you that right now, I wasn't enthusiastic about it. I went to the emergency room, oh, she said, by the way, uh, the daddy of this girl doesn't want you to come. He said, tell that preacher not to come up here. Now that was real encouraging. And I said, well, uh, uh, yes, I'll be there. And my wife said, what's wrong? I got dressed and put my clothes back on and, and, and uh, gave my wife the popcorn and jumped in the car and took off and went over to the emergency room and got up to the emergency room. There was 59 of that family there. Not a one of them saved. 59. 17-year-old girl. 17-year-old girl that had caught the flu. And uh, they said, uh, she's critical. Well, I thought, man, the life. Boy, I can to exaggerate to get a preacher out of being... Get him over here away from his home saying she's critical and she's going to die and I would not feel and then this guy wouldn't even speak to me and said wouldn't even didn't even want me there said don't you have that preacher to come over here and I said can I go and see her he said no you can't go and see her she's here a preacher she thinks for sure she's dying well I said may I pray a few I thought if anybody needed he probably needed more than the girl did and uh, well alright I prayed in less than 30 minutes she was dead she died. 17-year-old girl died. Listen, those people without God, this one was falling out. This one was fainting in the floor. 59 of that, these were adults, 59 adults in the hallways and in the, in the little waiting room there. This one was passing out. We counted six laying in the floor. Oh, this passing out. Oh, this can't happen. Oh, and got a hold of the doctor and said, you bring my girl, you bring my daughter back. You bring my daughter back. Don't you let her die. She can't die. She's not dead. The doctor said, yes, she is. And they were just falling out just like this. Well, I pulled off my coat. I was helping pick people up, put them on stretchers. And here was a terrible thing. And by the way, the 17-year-old daughter wasn't, wasn't saved. And uh, I spent the biggest part of the night with the family. The next morning, the daddy called me and he said, Preacher, we don't go to church anywhere. We don't know anybody. He said, uh, would you take care of the funeral? I said, I'd be more than happy to. Just the night before, he wouldn't even let me pray. But I identified myself with the situation. Oh, what if I'd have stayed home and, and uh, eaten popcorn? Fellas, what I'm saying is don't burn your barrel when there's death in the pot, uh, or death in the loft, and, uh, and the spiritual deadness, and there seems to be no life and you've done everything that you think you can do that is right, and there's still no breath, and it's still, you're, just, you're, you're at the end of yourself. Listen, God's on, the, the, uh, uh, God's on time. God's running things. You just, the steps of a good man are ordered of God. And by the way, that man and his wife, my wife and I have been into the home uh, three times since then. They've been in church. Uh, we've had several of them get saved. And hey, there's come life coming out of that death. There was death in the loft. And there's life being breathed into that. I had the same thing to happen sometime back. We were going through a terrible drought, a terrible time of deadness. And I went out. I don't want to tell you something. You know what will help you whenever you get out, uh, you're going through a time like that? Get out and do some door knocking. Knock on some doors. We led a fellow to Christ and uh, (laughs) led him to Christ and got him saved, got him baptized. And I baptized 32 of his family as a result. Just... Fellas, don't, get dis- don't burn the barrel, and don't get defer- discouraged and quit. And many preachers have been here. I've been here, and you've been there. And um, uh, we've done everything we know to do. And it seems like we've done everything right, but there's no breath in our church, no life. So don't burn your barrel when there's death in the loft. God's faithful. God has promised, and God uh, will uh, uh, bring revival. God will bring the wind, and the wind will blow, and the rains will come, and life will come. So don't burn your barrel uh, whenever you're seeing. By the way, probably, and I think Brother Ernie hit it right on the head uh, about preachers under the pressure cooker, finances. Thank God I have everything paid for at Tabernacle. Don't owe a dime on anything. But then I try to give everything that I can give to my faculty and my staff, and, and I've got a large faculty and staff. And it just seems like, I don't know about you, maybe you've got all kind of money. But brother, I tell you, it's from one payday to the next. Trying to help keep it going, trying to encourage people. And uh, uh, you get to the place to where you say, Well, what am I going to do? How there's death around us all over. us. We've got to identify ourselves with the people that are in need and go to that boy that's in the loft. And God will bring blessing out of the instrument through which uh, we were going to discard. But notice something else. I want you to see. Uh, don't burn your barrel when the duty is for the Lord. (laughs) I thought about this. uh, uh, The duty, he went to Zarephath because the Lord told him to go, not because he felt a call to go. (laughs) He he was just obeying God and it was the duty of that prophet to go down there because God told him to go. And I'm sure he went dragging his feet going into Gentile territory. But it was his duty to do right. It was his duty to obey the word of God. It was his duty so you don't burn the barrel uh, when the duty is for the Lord. Uh, You are going to do it uh, for the Lord. Have you ever gotten to the place to where you're so discouraged and so defeated and just ready to, uh, uh, to throw up your hands, pray your last prayer and quit and throw in the towel? You ever been there? Sure you have. You're in the ministry. You've been there. I never <laughs> well, I'll not say that, but um, have uh, you ever been to that place to where you you said, Well, Lord, you told me to do it, and I've been doing it and, and um, I was at uh, working for when I got out of college, I got me a job. I was pastor in a church when I started uh, a sophomore, I started a church, and uh, I worked overnight the night and started a church. And went to school, and then I graduated, and then the church wasn't enough to pay pay my salary, and so I went to um, uh, Doctor Seitler and uh, he put me to work, and uh, he gave me a job, thirty seven dollars and fifty cents a week, and he said, um, "Now you do anything that needs to be done." I said, "Yes, sir." I didn't know it, but that's the definition of associate pastor, and. Uh, you do everything that needs to be done. You see, associate pastor is like a double boiler on the stove, water boiler. He doesn't know where the, uh, uh, he can always feel the heat, but he doesn't know where it's coming from, you know. But uh, uh, he, <laughs> he said, you do everything that needs to be done. And I, I did, I, I did. I was the, uh, taught the fifth grade. How'd you like to be taught, the fifth? I taught the fifth grade. I was a janitor. I drove the bus. Get up every morning, drive the bus. And then I'd clean the bathrooms. Then I'd teach a fifth grade. And then he said, uh, uh, I need somebody to be the assistant principal. I was assistant principal. Then the principal left and I was the principal. Then I pastored on the side. And then I worked over here. I got discouraged. trying to, uh, I had a wife and two kids and trying to make it on $37.50. And I got discouraged. I got a lot, little defeated about it. Down in the mouth. And I went to see a uh, uh, fellow, and I said, look, can you help me with this? I said, God's not supplying my need. Man, I'm about starved to death. And he said, are you in God's will? I said, yes, sir. Well, he said, I want to know something. Who are you doing it for? Harold Seitler or Rod Bell? Or who are you doing it for? Getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning, driving a bus, and a bunch of screaming kids, going into fifth grade, cleaning commode. Who am I doing it for? Well, I'm doing it for the Lord. And when he said, you've been griping about it. He said, if I was the Lord, I wouldn't supply you need either. That's not what I wanted to hear. Amen? I didn't want to hear that. But he said, you do it for the Lord, it'll make all the difference in the world. And I'm going to tell you something, that changed my whole attitude. When I said, I'm going to be the best bus driver that God's got. I'm going to be the best commode cleaner God's got. I'm going to be the best janitor god God's God. I'm going to be the best fifth grade teacher god God's God. I'm going to do it for the Lord. I'm not going to take this experience, and I'm not going to lose, burn this barrel, and I'm, not, uh, I'm getting tired and weary in the battle and, and feel like God owes me something. I'm going to do it for the Lord, and I'm going, to, I'm going to ask Him to supply my need, and I'm not going to get discouraged and quit and throw up the towel because it's my duty to do it, and I'm going to do it as unto the Lord. So don't burn your barrel. Uh, When the duty is for the Lord. And then number four. Don't burn your barrel when there's doubt in your life. You know, I looked at this in verse 12. And she said, as the Lord thy God liveth, I I have not a cake but a handful of meal in the barrel. And as thy God, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathered two sticks, and I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Don't you feel, don't you sense a little bit of doubt here? Don't you sense uh, that she was a little depressed? (laughs) It's all I got just, but thy Lord. I believe she's a little depressed. I did a little hint of doubt here. So if you're ever going through a period of depression and a period of doubt in God's love, a period of doubting whether you're in the will of God, a period of doubting whether God's going to provide for you, a period of doubting, don't burn that experience in your life. Because it's through that experience, through that instrument that God's going to bless you. God's going to provide for you. And God allows those things to come in our life that he might mold us and make us into his image. So don't, uh, don't doubt God's good goodness in trials. Don't burn the barrel when there's doubt in your life. Uh, he wants to use the instrument to meet the need uh, in your life. Uh, look what happened in verse 12. She said, I have a handful. There's only a handful in the barrel. Question. Whose hand? <laughs> whose hand? It was not her handful. It was not Elijah's handful, but it was God's handful. So you see, God's hand was in that barrel. That's the same hand that was upon Nehemiah. Nehemiah told him the hand of the Lord was upon him. The hand of the Lord was upon me. Uh, what? The, uh, it, it was God's hand that brought it out, and there were. Uh, Uh, to feed her and to feed her son and feed Elijah. It was God's hand, and God miraculously took the little and made it much. Uh, What did this hand need, or what did the land need? The land needed rain. What does our land need today? It needs rain. God's trying to prepare men who will be able to stand on Mount Carmel And to have the power of God on their life, and hear the sound of abundance of rain. Uh, There had been no rain in the land, and the hand that was in the barrel was the same hand that is seen in chapter 18, verse 44. Remember when Elijah was praying? And his servant, he said, You run up and uh, ran up, run up, and see if you can see anything. And he ran up and he looked out and he saw the size of a man's hand in the clouds. Not a fist, but a hand. Five. That's a picture of grace. And he came running and he said, I see the size of a man's hand. That was God's hand. God's hand was in the circumstances. God's hand and God's sovereign purpose, That's uh, the size of a man's hand. The same hand that came out of the barrel and sustained the widow's son uh, and God's prophet was the same hand that came out of the uh, heavens and supplied the rain and brought Revival. Uh, it is God's hands in the circumstances. God's hands that's in the instrument, is the uh, working through the instrument that he's going to use to uh, uh, prepare and to provide and take care of me and you and get us ready to where we can see real revival on top of Mount Carmel. And I say, oh God, help us in the experiences, the instruments in our life that comes in our life. Help us not to burn the barrel. Help us not to discard it. Help us not to be ashamed of it. Help us not to run from it. But help us, Lord, just to see you in it and see you working in it. So don't burn the barrel uh, when um, uh, a child of God is uh, going through these difficulties. God's hand is in it. And I said that there's no accidents, only incidents. And God will see you through it. Don't quit. Hey, my wife, somebody said to me, said, when are you going to retire? Retire? You know, and I don't have think Some of these preachers want to retire. Fine. Retire But as long as I've got, still got my burden, got good health, I'm not going to be a burden to my church. But I want to tell you something. I do, listen, I don't want to retire. I don't want to retire. I want to keep going as long as I can go. I want to keep going. There's no discharge in this army. I heard uh, so many people looking. Uh, I was, had a funeral the other day with a Southern Baptist preacher. And uh, he said, I'm getting ready to hang it up, preacher. I said, what? He said, I'm hanging it up. I said, what, 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 what do you mean? Why?" Well, he said, I'm 60. And he said, I'm, uh, I'm going to Florida. I'm retired. I said, y- you, you are? He said, yeah. He said, man, he said i tell you. said, that's where you independents miss it. We've got a good, uh, good retirement program. That's what he told me, and I said, "Brother, I can't hang it up. I got a calling, and as long as I got good health and got my burden, got my got my strength, I got to keep on keeping on. I got to keep on keeping on, and I can't quit." A preacher friend of mine was telling me that he was uh, he had a, a ministry in a convalescing old folks retirement center, and. Uh, is was really an old folks' home. And he said that he would go in and administer to the people and bring them out and have a little service with them and sing some songs with them. And, and, and he said finally that one day, he said, uh, one of the uh, the ladies said to him, said, do you know, said, we've got a, an old retired preacher down, uh, way down at the end of the hall. He said, he's uh, 91 years of age. Used to pastor a big church down here. And uh, he's been here for a long time. He said he's uh, uh, failing in health. And, oh, he said, that a preacher friend of mine said, i got to go see him. <laughs> he said he was a preacher in the city there for years. He said he walked down, the, walked down this uh, dimly lit hallway and as he walked into the room, he said the dimly lit room, over by the window, here was a, a chair. In the chair was a, 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 a slumped silhouette of an old man, slumped down like that. Had his head laying over on his chest. Had a bib on him. He was in his pajamas and a housecoat. And said he was drooling, just sitting there. He said he got down in front of him and said, looked up to him and said, Hey, Dad, they tell me that you used to be a preacher. And he said, old man raised up, he said, got a sparkle in his eye and he said, Didn't used to be, I still am. <laughs> yeah, didn't used to be, I still am. Oh, 91 years of age, still burning in his soul. I still am. That's what I'm talking about, fellas. I just want to keep on, keep it on. I visited. I have about three or four of my folks ready, just ready to cross over, and uh, they're very ill. One of my old, uh, elderly men, who's a charter member of our church, Brother Bob Plot. 94 years of age. He's in the hospital, and he has since he was 40 years of old age had a colostomy. He has uh, years and years and years and years operation after operation after operation. Always had the joy of the Lord. I preached one Sunday morning. I had preached for two hours. I was preaching through the Book of Acts. I was trying to preach through the Book of Acts in one service, and uh, that's true. I'm sorry, but I, I was uh, persecuting the saints. And uh, but uh, I said, folk, I'm not finished yet, but I'm tired. And uh, I'll finish tonight. Old Bob Plot. I'll never forget it. He raised up and said, sit down and rest a while, preacher, and hook up again. <laughs> At ni- ni- then he was 80-some years of age. Well, he's 94 now. I went over to visit him the other day. The doctor told him he had to have, he's had a heart attack. He um, uh, uh, said he had to have another operation. His wife's, an, or his, uh, his daughter's a nurse, and she stood right with daddy and stayed right with him. And... Uh, I went in and she said, Pastor, he's got to have another surgery. The doctor said he he can't live unless he has another surgery. He's got to have another surgery. And she said, when the doctors told me that I just broke and began to weep, and I said, Daddy, it's not fair. I don't know of any man that's suffered like you've suffered. I don't know of any man that has gone through with what you've gone through with it. And, and, and it's not right for the Lord to put this on you. I mean, that's not right. I don't know why it happened, in Daddy. And she said, Pastor, my daddy pushed that old, frail body up in the bed, raised that little bony hand, and said, Now you listen to me, young lady. Don't you ever question my Lord. I said, That's it. That's the bottom line. That's where the rubber hits the road. Oh, listen, fellas, let's don't burn our barrel whenever circumstances come in our life. God can use it uh, to, uh, to mold us and provide for us and supply for us and cause us uh, to be what he wants us to be if we'll just not burn the barrel. Let's stay stick by the stuff when we're the hardest hit. Let's just hang in there and ask God to help us be the servant that he'd have us to be and not burn our barrel.